Before we get started this week, I just want to take some time to dedicate this show to my late grandmother, Lorraine Hare. It's been 30 years since she's been gone, and March 4th will be the 30th anniversary of her passing. She guards Hoodwood fiercely with love and great cooking. I do everything, I'm pretty much most of the play person I am is because of her. She helped raise me, her and my mom. This one's for you, Grandma. Let's get the show started. Heads up, because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports Hoodwood for March 4th, 2023. Coming up in this edition, are the Lakers in real trouble with LeBron's injury? Can it get any messier for Dan Snyder and the Commanders? We'll take an in-depth look at all the trouble that he may be in. 176 to 175. Are you serious? I could not let that crazy game go by without taking a look. Is the pitch clock working in MLB? Times are definitely down. That's some of the pros and cons of the pitch clock. Bubble Madness. We are this close, a week away from March Madness. What teams are in real bubble trouble? Well, some more Hoodwood Hot Takes, Fat Dap, Head Slap. You got to really see this breakdown with this Fat Dap, Head Slap. This is crazy. And the Hoodwood Hot Five, the five hottest teams in college basketball right now, as well as the final word from a lot of ground to come, so you might as well buckle up. Put that crash helmet on. Sports with Hoodwood's coming at you. Let's go. Hoodwood, where it's getting closer and closer to March Madness, and the Hoodwood cannot wait. And on apologies, Christmas, this is the best time of the year. I'm your man, KJ Green. Welcome you back to the Hoodwood. And let's get started, not with college basketball, but with the pro game. And the mess that the Lakers season has been pretty much all year has gotten hyper messy now. LeBron James injuring his foot Sunday against the Dallas Mavericks. And he said he heard a pop. And that pop, you might have heard, is the Lakers' thin playoff chances busting up. After trading Russell Westbrook, and now he's happy cross town or cross building with the L.A. Clippers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis really had to step up their game even more to try to drag the Lakers kicking and screaming into the playoffs. Now with LeBron James's injury, with the 29 and 32 record, you know, as of the day's taping, it's looking pretty ragged for the for the purple and gold in in, in crypto.com arena. And you can't really find any real go-to guys with the Lakers except for Anthony Davis and you have to wonder how much load he's going to take before he too breaks down because you know he's injury prone the Lakers have been living on borrowed time pretty much the whole season and they had this look like yeah 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 we'll we'll, we'll turn it on in, in, in February yeah yeah we'll turn it on in March we'll get into the playoffs and we'll be the most dangerous team in the playoffs you know, LeBron talked big after the All-Star game about how now the Lakers were really going to be dangerous because they're wounded, they're in a corner, and no, sorry. You're not going to pull this off with your best player, albeit him being 38 years old, but your best player sitting on the sidelines in street clothes. The Lakers have basically dawdled and Fooled around pretty much the entire season. Now they're in 12th place in the West. And 
the chances of them getting into at least even the playing games, forget trying to get one of the six top seeds, that's pretty much a foregone conclusion that that is not going to happen. The Lakers wanted to get in the playing game, win a couple, a couple games there, maybe sneak in as a 10 seed, upset a couple of teams, and then be a real headache for, say, the Denver Nuggets. That chance is getting slim and none, and slim has just left the building. I'm sorry, Laker fans. I mean, y'all can curse and hate me and say that I'm, I'm a hater and I've just been waiting for the Lakers to fall. The Lakers aren't any good. Let, let, let's just call a spade a spade. The Lakers are no good. LeBron can do just so much. Anthony Davis can do just so much, but with a thin bench, horrific defense, and with no real, no real talent on that team, and people were like, "Well, they'll trade for this player, or they'll they'll trade for that player." It didn't happen. Nobody wanted the Lakers as a trading partner because they don't have anything to offer. So the pipe dreams of Kyrie or, or, or Kevin Durant or some of these other big names that got traded to the trade deadline going to L.A. were remote at best. And now with the Lakers not really making any big deals at the trading deadline except for the three-way trade uh, for D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo Russell, beg your pardon, but that team is still so thin at the bit in the bench. They are so you know weak in their starting five. You take LeBron James out of that equation, he was keeping them afloat barely. No one knows how long LeBron James is going to be out. He could be out a week. He could be out the rest of the season. In any case, the Lakers are done. Stick a fork in them. And yeah, I know it's late February, and there's still another six weeks to go in the season. But the Lakers are done. Book it. Now, it's not often in the Hoodwood that we ever discuss high finance. Uh, It's just not something I'm very... I, I shouldn't say that I'm not interested in, but it's not something that I would figure I would bore you with. But in this case, this is something that is very intriguing and very interesting. Dan Snyder, who is currently the owner of the Washington Commanders and has been rumored to have wanting to put the team up for sale and that that sale of that team could fetch anywhere between six to eight billion, not million, billion dollars. He now finds himself in the middle of a financial scandal that could really rock the NFL. It seems that Dan Snyder has taken out a line of credit or a personal or a loan on the, from the team, the team's line of credit, of $55 million. Now, most people would say, okay, teams take out lines of credit, loans, whatever. But he did this without the knowledge of his minority partners and that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell signed off on this specific transaction. Now, is this illegal? Not to the letter of the law, no. Is it unethical? You could say that. Is it downright shady? Oh, yeah. And it's not something that you really should be surprised about. Dan Snyder has done some, let's just call it straight up. He's done some shady shit in the, in the 25, 20, almost 25 years he's owned the Washington franchise. And he has been the focus of uh, sexual harassment allegations, workplace harassment uh, allegations, um, and he has been under a lot of pressure to sell the team that his style, if you will, is bad for the shield. Now, of course, everybody or anybody who knows anything about the NFL knows that it's always about protect the shield, protect the shield. Snyder's actions, while again, not illegal, is something that 
is starting to raise a lot of questions around the Washington franchise. Why? And the thing is, is that Washington has had one after another after another incidents, and and, and these type of things are not good pub. If you really want to get into some really good in-depth reading over lunch or over dinner or late night or something, read some of the article that was that was written by Don Van Natta of ESPN. He's a really great investigative reporter. I was reading some of it this morning. I heard or was listening to some of the uh, podcast, um, ESPN Daily podcast, and Pablo Torre. I, I think it was Pablo Torre. I don't think he was. He might not have been that type, but. Don Vanetta was being being interviewed, and he was basically going in-depth about the things that Dan Snyder had been doing, whether it was the, the $55 million uh, line of credit that was taken out, and there were some things that Snyder had billed Washington for, never mind the fact that Dan Snyder is being paid about $10 million a year to be the owner. How do you get paid to be the owner? But that, that's neither here nor there. But the he had planned to expense more than $7 million in unreimbursed business expenses and a million dollars for vehicle costs. He charged Washington $4.5 million to put the team's logo on his private jet. I mean, stuff like that, you start to wonder what kind of financial mess is Snyder pulling here? Because you don't charge your own team what you're supposed to be owning for stuff that you do and then try to write off these expenses and get reimbursed for them. It's not, like I said, it's not really ethical. But Dan Snyder has never been accused of being ethical. Dan Snyder has basically, he was basically forced to change the Washington's uh, football team name to Commanders, even though he said that he wasn't going to change the team name no matter what. After a while, the pressure was brought, brought to bear and he changed the name. He has said that he is not going to sell the team. Now, all of a sudden, there are interested parties that are inquiring about the team. Uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Washington Post, has been rumored or has has been reported, not rumored, as to have uh, put together a financial team to investigate purchasing the team. Other people, like media mogul Byron Allen, has been trying to quietly, trying to inquire if the team is going to be for sale, and if so, for how much. That all being said, all the financial, and, and, and one other thing is that Daniel Snyder has also tried to point out to the NFL to see how much, if he can be waived from any kind of liability if he sells the team. The thing, it just irritates me that Snyder is doing all of this dirty stuff, but wants immunity just in case if he gets into any trouble after he sells the team. He wants to be, he wants to sell the team if he does sell the team and take the check and ride off in the sunset. Stay tuned on this, because I'm gonna take I'm gonna keep keep my eye on this. And I want to I'll keep you informed about this. But this is going to turn out to be a very interesting sprint. Because I don't think that this is going to go away quietly. And I get the feeling that there are going to be some um, how should we say law enforcement that may be inquiring heavily about this situation. This is going to be front page news in your, in your, in your sports tower. You can book that. Take our first time out of the deck. Come back with the madness that was the 176-175 shootout between the Clippers and the Kings. And is the pitch clock really working? Look into some numbers about that situation. Sportsman Hoover comes back at you. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, 
you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. college pros most pro games have sometimes a lack of days gratitude just like you watch the game it's kind of like you know both the teams are playing with no passion especially in the middle of the season right after the all-star break first game one of the first games after the all-star break was the kings and the clippers playing in la and most people figured you know two Decent teams going at it, but it wasn't going to be nothing to get really excited about. The game that was played on Friday the 24th, I was taping last week's show, and I caught part of the game late, and I saw the score, the final score, and I thought, what? 176 to 175. That's not a misprint on the screen, ladies and gentlemen. That was a, I mean, granted it was a double overtime game. But the game at the end of regulation was 153. I mean, I'm looking at the highlights, and we'll take a look at some of them here. It's Both teams were on point. No, no kidding. Both teams shot very well. The Kings shooting 58.6%. The Clippers shooting 60.2%. Um, the Clippers shooting better from three, 57%, 43.9%. There are just some just ridiculous. Dunkulous highlights. I mean, Malik Monk just went off. I mean, 45 points. 45 points off the bench. <laughs> it doesn't make no sense. Darren Fox had 42 points for the for the Kings. All five starters in double figures. Seven of the of the uh, 11 players, or 7 of the 10 players for the Kings that played were in double figures. It's just ridiculous. I mean, and for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, 44 points. Ridiculous. Paul George, 34 points. Russell Westbrook, first game with the Clippers, chips in 17, 14 assists, close to a triple-double, and uh, a couple players close to triple-doubles. It was just ridiculous. You're looking at the the highlights, and they're just mind-boggling. I mean, Norman Powell, 24 points off the bench for the Clippers. I mean, it. the game went back and forth, seesaw all the way. Game saw everything but an ending. Uh, Malik Monk hitting a, a shot with 36 seconds to play. It was one of those games where you're just like... They could play all night, and I would just enjoy it because it was just back and forth. And some people say, well, there's no defense in it. Sometimes there are games that you just watch, and you just watch the scoring and watch both teams, elite athletes, going at it, the top of their game. And that was just a fun game to watch. You don't knock it. You just look at the score, and you, the scoreboard operator is going, Leaving the, 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 the reader going, my thumb hurts from pushing the button so much. It, it, games like that are rare. It was the third highest scoring game in the NBA history. Now, you score 175 points and lose. I mean, the Clippers shot better from the field, shot better from three-point line, uh, out-rebounded, and still lost. Well, it does help that the uh, K- 
Kings had two players go over 40 points. That was an absolutely crazy game. Can you imagine being any of the, the, the 19,068 people that were sitting there in Crypto.com Arena watching this game? <laughs> I'd have just been like dizzy just watching the whole game. But it was a fun game to watch and, and a real treat to be able to see two teams play at that kind of caliber. It's fun to watch. Now, as I detailed last episode, there is pitch clock in Major League Baseball. And it's one of those things that if you're not really familiar with the way the baseball kind of has a rhythm in, in its own self, and maybe people say it's a timeless game. It doesn't need a, you know, a clock or anything like that. But to be perfectly honest, games are starting to get a little ridiculous in baseball. Three and a half hours for a three to two game, it, it is stupid. I mean, Major League Baseball is trying to appeal to a soundbite generation now and trying to speed the game up. And a lot of the old school uh, fans don't like it, but then you watch the game and it has a good rhythm. Let me give you an example. I'm going to put up a clip uh, that was provided by Baseball Ninja. And... It, it runs about a minute and a half of a, on the left, you have the exhibition game between the uh, Dodgers and Padres. And with a pitch clock, the batter having to get into the batter's box before eight seconds are left on said pitch clock. And the pitcher has 15 seconds to deliver a pitch with nobody on, 20 if there are batters on, and he can only step off the rubber a couple of times. You see on the left-hand side that the pitcher is working quickly. The batter is getting ready. There's a lot of stepping out. On the right is Pedro Baez of the, of the L.A. Dodgers against the Cubs in a playoff game. This is painful to watch because Baez is fiddling around the mound, checking the runners, bluffing toward the runners, and the infielders are standing there like, come on, throw the ball. And that was only the second pitch. Now, in the time of this clip, which is about a minute and a half, you're going to see an entire half inning between the Dodgers and the Padres. Baez only throws one pitch in this entire sequence. One. And like I said, watching this is painful, especially, you know, if you're watching this and you're going, what's the purpose here? Why are you not moving? Why is this game not moving? And you can see how a younger generation would get irritated. Now, of course, broadcasters are going to like this because they can rattle and prattle on all, you know, wax eloquent about this and that. Uh, the late, great Vin Scully could tell a great story in the time it took Sometimes batters to get ready and batters to to, to, to set up and, and pitchers to set up. And Vin Scully could tell a great story. It was entertaining because everybody knew that there was no time clock. And there was no urgency in it. Now there's a little bit more urgency in it. And I think it's a good thing, though I still like... There was a story that um, Reggie Jackson had told that he knew that a, uh, a specific broadcaster, and I'm not sure, I don't think it was Vin Scully, but he was needing to tell a specific story. It was going to take a little bit. Reggie Jackson stepped out of the batter's box, adjusted his gloves, adjusted his jersey, fiddled with his bat. He did everything in enough time to allow this broadcaster to tell the story. I think the broadcaster and Jackson had something set up where Jackson would stay out of the batter's box until he saw the broadcaster sit down. When he saw the broadcaster sit down, he stepped in the box, boom, and they'd be ready for the pitch. You're not going to be able to get away with that anymore. You're going to be able to have the human rain delay like Mike Hargrove, when he was a, bat, a, pit, a player for the Indians in the 80s, be able to just get away with being out of the box for so long. 
And Max Scherzer of the uh, Washington Nationals said it's going to be more of an advantage to the pitcher because it'll allow the pitcher to work quick more quickly and to keep the batter off balance. I disagree because I think the batter's going to know to be ready, the pitcher's going to be ready, the ball's going to get get there, and it's going and the game's going to move. I think that this will speed up the game, and and the first week of preseason games, exhibition games in Major League Baseball, there has been a difference of nearly 30 minutes. You can't, you can't really quantify how much that's going to mean to the game. People are going to be able to get to the games. The games are going to be uh, better paced. I think that you're going to see a lot more 7 o'clock games. Because I think that a lot of Major League games were starting at 6.30 because they're worried the game's going to go three and a half. Three, three and a half hours. Now with the game starting at 7, 7.30, that the game's going to be over in two, two and a half hours. This is going to be a lot more beneficial. And I think it's going to not only speed up the game, but make the game more, you're going to pay more attention. It's going to be more attentive to the game. I like the pitch clock already. I was skeptical at first, I will admit, but watching it in practice has made me a convert. Let's take a timeout. Come back and let's talk basketball, specifically college basketball. Bubble madness. It's going to be crazy. It's March. Hey, what do you expect? Things are going to be wild from this point all the way to Selection Sunday on March 12th. And we're also going to try something new. I like doing experimenting. This bit means the highlights are kind of new as well. But we're also going to do what's called Hoodwood Quick Tips. You will find thoughts on a variety of subjects. Sports on the Hoodwood continues. After this, your New Year's resolution for 2023 is to follow me, The Real Rashim, and The Real DJ Dream on Facebook and Instagram. And have an outstanding new year. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, K.J. Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is K.J. Green. Thank you so much for joining me this week. And it's madness. It's March. That means speculation. Now, I used to put out a thing called Spec Sheet when I first started getting into blogs and media where I would list the teams that I thought would be in and out of the NCAA tournament. It became such a labor of love and basically what spurred on to create sports from the hoodwood. Now, so many people are speculating, bracketologists are abounding here and there, and I don't do so much of so much of a spec sheet anymore. But I still like to speculate on who I think should make the NCAA tournament and what teams are on the proverbial bubble of the 68-team tournament field. Let's start with ACC, shall we? Now I'm going to list the teams that are, I think, locks to get in. You'll see that in the graphics on the screen. But I'm going to mention the teams that I think that are in bubble trouble or need to do more work to secure their place in the 68-team field. Let's again instead of start with the ACC. I still think that teams like Pitt is safe. I think that team is pretty, pretty, pretty solid ground. NC State is trying to give their birth away, and with a shameful loss to Clemson, you, you lose on Senior Day and get plastered by a team that's also on the bubble. That's not going to look good in eyes of the uh, tournament selection committee. Clemson. After that loss to Louisville, oh my goodness, they are in some serious bubble trouble. North Carolina could use another win ahead of playing the ACC tournament in Greensboro, but for now, I think they're on the right side of the cut line. Um, in the Big 12, 
I think there are many as seven teams that are safe, as they're listed here. Huggy Bear has some work to do with West Virginia. That team is 16 and 14. They may need to get all the way to Saturday night in Kansas City to have a real shot at making the tournament. OK State folks have done a swan dive, and their tournament resume is looking weaker and weaker by the game. And time is really running out for Texas Tech. They're going to need to really make a solid run, maybe knock off a couple of the tourney-bound teams in the Big 12 tournament to have a real shot. Shifting over to the SEC, the, the Aggies and Razorbacks are the two teams that I have been looking at, and I think that they've played their way in, played their way safe. Auburn, Mizzou, and Mississippi State, they may have played their way out, but with the SEC tournament in Nashville, you really can't be too sure. The way that that tournament bracket is set up, it's going to be kind of interesting. A, a team like an Auburn or Mizzou may have to win as many as five games in five days, get all the way to Sunday before they have any kind of real consideration. Now, in the Big East, you only have one real team of question, and that's Providence. And I don't see why people are questioning Providence. I think Ed Cooley has done a hell of a job with that squad over the last couple of years, and I think they're safe. Some pundits may disagree with me, but I think the, Pro the Providence Friars are a safe bet. You have the other teams that are listed in the Big East that I think they're all safe, but Providence is the only team in question, and I think they're good to go. Pac-12... Did Desmond Cambridge Jr. just shoot Arizona State in with this shot? I think so. I think that the Sun Devils may have shot their way into the tournament with that improbable shot in Tucson, no less, to beat their hated rivals in the University of Arizona. Now, USC doesn't have a really pretty resume, but that win over UCLA at Poly, uh, 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 that's a real resume weight on there. That's something that the tournament committee is going to look at and go, hmm, not bad, not bad at all. Unless you say to me about Oregon, better. We'll move on. In the Big Ten, Northwestern is trying to give it away, trying their damnedest to give their birth away. You figure they may have had a lock on no less than a week ago. I still think they're safe, though. We'll talk more. We'll talk more about Iowa and Michigan State here later. But I think though both of those two are safe and good to go. Now teams like Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, Rutgers—they're running out of time, and they are running out of opponents, and they're going to need to do make deep runs in Minneapolis to have a real fair shake at a tournament berth. That's, that's who's on the bubble, or I should say who's in bubble trouble. It's going to be an interesting couple of, uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, next couple of weeks. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting next few days, to be very sure. This is why I always say March is the best time of the year, with no apologies of Christmas. Wall-to-wall -wall hoops. What more could you ask for? Pass me the popcorn. Let's sit back and enjoy it. in a segment that may be semi-regular, depending on my mood. This is called Hoodwood Quick Takes. A few things here and there that I've observed here and there over the past few days. We'll start out with the Browns wanting a new stadium. Really? <laughs> you, the, Brown, well, the Browns serious? The Browns have been back in existence for almost a quarter century, and they really have not impressed anybody. They've made the playoffs two times. Two. They've had three winning, four, I'm sorry, four winning seasons. They've had a winless season and a one-win season. The Browns play in First Energy Stadium and have probably some of the most loyal, you've got to be loyal to be a, a, a Browns fan, but they have some of the most loyal fans in the NFL. But now the Browns want a new stadium. Are they serious? How about winning some football games on a consistent basis for the next few years? Put that stadium talk somewhere else. And I and staying with the NFL, I want to say, boo, 
Luckily for the Bengals, the Bengals have been more or less trotted on and laughed at and treated as a joke for the last few, you know, 30, 40 some odd years. But their recent run of the last couple of years, making the Super Bowl, making AFC Championship in back-to-back years, have made them a team on the rise, a team to watch. But there have been pundits that have saying, the Bengals need to trade this player. They need it. This team needs to offer for t- uh, for this player. This player. The player needs to get traded. This, this, and that. It seems that the pundits who want the Bengals to be the Bungles want to pick them apart and make them make bad trades to supplement other teams. Duke Tobin, who is the director of player personnel for the Bengals, have said, we've got T. Higgins. Go get your own. Which I say bully for the Bengals. I am tired of watching teams think that they can just roll over the Bengals and that they'll just take it. I think the days of the Bungles are going to be gone for a while. That They are going to be a team that's going to be in the playoffs and winning in the playoffs, if not winning a Super Bowl before it's all said and done. Especially if Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins stay together and make an offense punch that's going to be hard to deal with. Dame Lillard. My goodness, 71 points, including 13 three-pointers for the Blazers. Now, the Blazers ain't doing that much of anything, so Dame Lillard's pretty much the only thing worth watching. I wish people would stop trying to push him out and want to push him out of Portland. Dame Lillard needs to go to a winner. He needs to go somewhere else. Dame Lillard is, is happy being in Portland and playing there. Who are we to tell anybody where to play, where to be happy at. If he's happy in Portland, I'm happy for him. I mean, Princess Katie likes Portland. I don't know if she knows anything about the Blazers, but I do know that both her and Dave Lillard seem to be pretty happy up in the Great Northwest. The Blackhawks traded Patrick Kane. The longtime Blackhawks captain has finally been sent to a contender. The lowly Blackhawks traded away Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers. The Blackhawks must be really, really bad if they're going to just give up that one of their cornerstone of their franchise for draft picks or lowly minor leaguers. It's a sad situation in Chicago. But as a That's just me. I'm not bitter, am I? Not at all. Let's take our final time now. Come back with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap and Head Slap, and the final word from the Hood. Sports from the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch. After this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. Your New Year's resolution for 2023 is to follow me, the real Rajim, and the real DJ Dream on Facebook. And have an outstanding new year. Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, KJ Green. Rounding third, let's finish up strong with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Got and Slap, and the final word from the Hood. Now, the Hoodwood Hot Five has been the last couple of weeks is the hottest five teams in college basketball right now. And I'm not saying which of these teams will win the tournament or who I think is going to be, you know, left standing in Houston come uh, next month. 
But these right now are the five strongest teams, in my opinion, using the Hoodwood Power Index. What's the Hoodwood Power Index? The five teams I say. So let's get at it. Now, dropping out of the Hoodwood High Five is Purdue. After losing to Indiana, I don't know. The Boilermakers are still on top of Big Ten, but right now, I don't think they're one of the five best teams in the country. One of the five best teams companies, starting number five, is our new entry in the Hoodwood Hot Five. That is the Marquette Golden Eagles. They're playing up some, some fierce ball up there in Milwaukee. And who was coaching that team? Shaka! Shaka Smart. There's that guy again. He, he kind of flunked out of Texas, but he's rebounded at Marquette. And are you really surprised that the Golden Eagles are the bullies of the Big East? No, I'm not. Our number four team in the Hoodwood Hot Five is Alabama. Now, last week they were number three. Now, yes, they are still on top of the SEC, but they keep living on borrowed time. You, you got to wonder, one of these days, playing these close games is going to burn them. And the closer they get to March and the closer they live on the edge, the more they're going to be in trouble. I don't know. They, they're still one of the top five teams in the Hoodwood Power Index, but they're falling fast. Our number three team is UCLA. And I say that Mick Cronin is the Rodney Dangerfield of college basketball right now. He gets no respect. But the Bruins are playing well enough to get a number one seed. And they cleansed their first Pac-12 title since 2013. And Cronin's Bruins are going to be a dark horse out west. Our number two team, Rock Chalk Jayhawks. The Kansas Jayhawks stay at the number two position. They lived a little dangerously playing against West Virginia. This is some weird uniforms that they're sporting. But still, the Jayhawks are still the defending title holders. And it will still be their title to lose. I still think they're the dark horse to repeat as national champions. Our number one team in the Hoodwood High Five is, I know, I, the team I love to loathe, the Houston Cougars. But right now, they are the best team in the nation, and they're trying to win their back their way back home in a month. I give them grudging doubt, but that's it. They are the number one team in the Hoodwood High Five. That's my High Five. What's yours? Now, turning to the fat dap and head slap of the week, this is going to be, from my apologies to the people who are listening to this uh, via podcast, video, or I said audio, you're going to have to maybe jump on YouTube and check out the highlights because the, this is going to be a little bit highlight intensive. Our fat dap goes to Iowa basketball. Not men, not the women, both teams get the dap, and I'll explain why. Iowa was hosting Michigan State on Saturday. It's a pretty wild game, pretty high-scoring game. Sparty was up 91-81 with about, um, about less than a minute left. Highlights. Fran McCaffrey, why is he doing the whole stare-down thing? Someone please explain this to me. This makes no sense. But, for some reason, Iowa decided to get hot. Iowa hits this three, cuts it to seven. Okay, yawn, snore, okay. Iowa hits two for a dollar and cuts the lead to four. Yawn, but no snore. You're kind of like, well, what are the Hawkeyes doing here? Iowa hits another three, and Sparty's lead is cut in half. And you're thinking, this may be a little bit, but time is still against the, against the Hawkeyes. Another three by Iowa cuts the lead to two. And now you're going, are the Hawkeyes going to really put, no, Izzo's not going to let them go. Wait, oh, wow. (laughs) Yes, Iowa has just tied up the game. This is madness. Iowa rallied from 10 down with less than a minute to go. 16-7 run 
over the last 55 seconds, Sparty shot 69.2% from the field and lost. <laughs> Iowa wins the game in, in overtime, 112 to 106, the third highest scoring Big Ten game ever. That was a crazy game in Iowa City, and and. And that was a morning tip-off. That was an 11 a.m. tip-off local time in Iowa City. That was nuts. Now let's give another fact that will stay in Iowa City. I'm sorry, Caitlin Clark is just cash money. How do you give her this open look to win the game against second-ranked Indiana? And on senior day, let peep in my ear. <laughs> On senior day, in Iowa City, the Hawkeyes, the Lady Hawkeyes, knock off number two Indiana on a buzzer beater from Caitlin Clark. Now, our head slap of the week goes to the Atlanta Braves. Now, what did they do? They did something that you wouldn't think would happen. Call strike three. On a pitch clock violation. Seriously? The game didn't end. It was a uh, tie game. Still nonetheless. You have to give a head slap. To not being aware. Unbelievable. And now without much further ado. Let's go over to the final word from the wood. the time here lately in the Hoodwood, I have had one player that has been a source of constant derision and scorn, and that has been Kyrie Irving. His long list of odd and petulant behavior has been a rather easy talking point for criticism. Now, since I last spoke of Irving, he has requested and has been given a trade, being sent to Dallas from Brooklyn, and for the moment, he appears happy. Kevin Durant has also been traded in a blockbuster deal with the Phoenix Suns. Though he has yet to suit up in the Valley, he appears to be satisfied with his new locale. Now my focal point for derision is who is left in Brooklyn, and the wonder is if the removal of the two stars will make any significant impact. Ben Simmons appears to be the only player that is left from what was considered a year or so ago to be part of a formidable lineup. But now a seemingly indifferent Simmons seems content on continuing not to play. All the talk is injury this and injury that. But to this scribe, it seems that Simmons is making every effort not to play. But continuing to draw his sizable paycheck nonetheless. And seems to be more worried more about his drip, swag, and look on the bench than trying to improve his overall game. Now Simmons is passing in defense while elite his poor counterbalance to his noted issues with his mid-range shooting, virtually non-existent three-point shooting, he's only made five three-pointers in his career, and horrific free-throw shooting. His passive attitude is a serious bone of contention, and he forced his way out of Philly, and the Sixers traded him to Brooklyn for James Harden. And when the trade was first consummated, the pundits chirped that the Sixers got took, and the Nets won the trade. Now the Sixers are laughing all the way to the playoffs while the Nets are in free fall. The Sixers kept shuffling their team around to shape around the mercurial point forward and grew tired of it. The Nets at first looked like an elite team with Durant, Irving, and then Simmons joining that team. But instead, Harden has fit seamlessly in the Sixers rotation and with Joel Embiid, has formed a potent inside-outside shooting combo that has made Philly look more and more like a tough out in the playoffs. The Nets, after a weak start, the Nets fired Steve Nash and hired Jacques Vaughn, and he has done his best with the infrequent play of Durant and Irving and the non-play of Simmons. Then the bottom fell out. Irving, gone to Dallas. Durant, gone to Phoenix. The burden has been left for Simmons to bear. Or has it? Simmons has faded into the background with the Nets and has not played since the All-Star break with a sore knee. And the Nets have been weaker because of this. 
witness their 137-87 pasting by the Bulls late last week. Now there was talk that Simmons was using mental health as his reason for not playing, and that in itself rubs me the wrong way, because there are legitimate scenarios where mental health is a factor for not playing. I cite Kevin Love as a player who was open and honest about his mental health struggles. If Simmons is using this as a crutch and a shield to not play, what little respect I had for him is out the window. Simmons to date has played 42 games and is averaging 6.9 points a game. For someone who's being paid like an elite player, those numbers are obvious career lows. He has cracked double figures in scoring exactly one-third of the time he has played 14 games. He has done he has done so in over a month. He's increasingly fueling criticism that he is stealing a paycheck and is becoming the dreaded S-word, soft. I have argued with a colleague who says that Simmons is a victim of improper coaching. I think Simmons has been coddled so much that he is lacking fire and focus, and the injuries are a direct result of that lack of fire and focus. Simmons is the portrait of a player that has wasted his potential, and while he can't be labeled a bust, he is a shell of a player that he once was and a shadow of a player that he could have been. That in itself is a true shame. And that is the final word from the wood. Now with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done, and I thank you so much for your visit. Now the show's email is kjgreen at sportsmanhoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics, both past and future, questions, comments on the show, and both praise and criticism. Welcome your correspondence, and we'll try to get back to you as quickly as I can. The show's website is sportsmanhoodwood.com. That is a back catalog of the show dating back 10 years in both audio and video forms. So you can check that out if there are any shows that you may have missed. You can join the debate and conversation on the Sports from the Hood with Facebook page. You can check that out. It has plenty of great sports debate, funny stuff I find on the web, and other topics. I post often there and do respond to member posts frequently. Video versions of the show are also on YouTube. Please hit that subscribe button, smash that like button for more great content. The link to this podcast as well as on the Twitter feed at Woodwood Sports. It has a host of interesting other stuff I find in tweet show and we do tweet back. So you can like and follow there as well. Now the audio version is also on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iTunes from Apple, and a host of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite, ask for it. Drop me a line and I'll see what I can do to get it posted there as well. As always, special thanks to Rave Pictures for providing production assistance to both the show and website. So that's it from the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green. 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.